This morning, I really, I'd like to come and just draw a bit of focus to CMA. I'd really like to just come and draw a bit of focus to the, to the heart of what Christian Motorcyclist Association is, is all about. And I believe that the heart of, of CMA is really reaching out to the lost. Not just reaching out for the sake of reaching out, but reaching out with the love of Jesus Christ. And this definition, the, the, the definition, we're going to use this word lost quite a bit today. And I, I believe we need to define it. The definition that we're going to use this morning is, is the definition that we really find through Scripture, which says that, that the lost is really someone who's removed from relationship with God. Removed from relationship with God, leading to destruction. And I believe that it's, it's, it's God who wants to use us as a vehicle to reach out and say, hey, why not come home? Why not come home? We have these slogans, why not come home? And I think to myself, that is really God's heart for a world that is desperate for the love of Jesus. You see, Jesus said this in Luke 19 verse 10. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save that which was lost, depending on your translation. But I believe that at the heart of CMA is the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. A passion for a broken and dying world. And I, I believe that this, the, the heart of, 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 of what we're talking about is really displayed best in this, this portion of, of scripture that we find in, in Luke 15, um, Jesus comes and he, he speaks into what's it's called the lost chapter. You know, he speaks into these lost things and he tells three stories. He tells three stories and in each story he, he speaks about something that was lost. The first story he speaks about uh, uh, the lost sheep. Second story he talks about a woman who, who, who lost a coin. The third story, he talks about a father who lost a son. So here we have the lost sheep, lost coin, and the lost son. And in all three stories, I believe that there are four components that really jump out at us. The first one is something was lost. Something was lost. In all three stories, something was lost. Secondly, something was sought for. Thirdly, something was found. And then fourthly, something was celebrated over. Now this morning, for the sake of time, I can't work through all three stories. So I'd like to look at the very first story that Jesus told. The story of, of the lost sheep. In Luke 15 verses 1 to 7, you're welcome to, to turn there with me. It's also going to be up on the board um, if you have forgotten your sword at home, we'll uh, cover for you this morning. It says here, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I want to stop there quickly. If you're part of this church, you know why tax collectors had their own bracket of sinner. Uh, but if you maybe don't know, let me quickly explain this morning. When you were a tax collector in the day, that this was written, 
How it worked was Rome set up tax over the Jews. They'd conquered the Jews, and as a result, they enforced a tax on top of the Jews. But they were wise. They realized to have Romans enforce the tax, you'd cause riots half the time. So what they did was they sold the rights to be able to tax to the Jews. Who can say Ferrier? Because that's how they were seen. They were seen as, what's the English word to that now? Traitor, there we go. They were seen as traitors to the Jews. Why? Because they would have to tax their own people what Rome asked them to tax, but the only way they'd make a living off it was to put their percentage on top. So not just were they taxing their own people, they were benefiting from it. So as a result, Jews saw Jews who taxed their own people, tax collectors, they saw them as unclean. They were unwanted. If ever you were going to describe the lost, this was them. They weren't just seen as regular sinners. No, they were given their own bracket of sinners. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. It carries on. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So we know Pharisees, they were just teachers of religious law, as it, as it explains here. They were the hierarchy of the church. But he says here, they even ate with them. Why is that significant? Because when you ate with someone, it spoke of a different level of relationship. You wouldn't just eat with anyone. You'd eat with a friend. You'd eat with a family member. It spoke of a depth of relationship. And Jesus doesn't just associate himself with these people, but he eats with them. What a scandal. It carries on. It says, so Jesus told them this story. Gotta love Jesus. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that he has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Doesn't this story just so beautifully communicate God's heart for the lost. As we've said this morning, spoken through these or, or mentioned these four elements, I just very briefly want to work through these, these four elements this morning. In this story, we saw this, this moment where this, the shepherd realizes that one of his sheep got lost. They got lost. And here, here's, this, here's this moment of lost. Um, we see it in, in verses 1 through 4. What I find amazing is that Jesus tells a story and he's, he's speaking about a sheep, but yet we've already been filled in that the lost have also come to listen. 
So the truth be told, in that moment, Jesus is even engaging with the lost. See, Jesus was no stranger to the lost. He loved them. <laughs> How do we know he loved them? He gave them his time. What's the most valuable commodity that we have today? Your checkbook? Uh-uh. Your time. He came and, and gave people his time who were removed from relationship with God to the point leading to destruction. Now, I, I get that as I've been saying lost, you sitting there and you may be thinking, Ramon, the word lost, it's not very politically correct, is it? You know, surely we could have found a nicer term for it this morning. If it's okay with you this morning, I'm just going to stick to the Word of God. Um, there are times where, where it's more important to be biblically correct than politically correct. But I want to say this to you, that when we are biblically correct, it's not just a harsh word. It's the truth spoken in love. See, when we public, so often we use that phrase, biblically correct, to, as an excuse to just slam people. I don't believe that that's biblically correct. Because when we biblically correct, we carry the heart of God through the process. And his heart is still for love. So even though the words may be true and, and on the surface may seem a little harsh, underneath that, beyond, behind that, what's backing that is a heart of love looking for restoration, not destruction. God loves the lost. How do we know that? In Romans 5 verse 8 it says that while we were still sinners. So isn't it true that we could even slap that name onto us once upon a time? Somewhere along the line we were all lost. That while we were all sinners, Christ died for us and gave himself up for us. You see, he desires for this state of lostness to be temporary. What about us? Do we? Do we desire for the state of lostness to be temporary? When we consider our family, when we consider our friends, when we consider our colleagues, when we consider the, the petrol attendant, when we consider the waiter, waitress, when we, when we consider the people around us, do we desire for that state of lostness to be temporary a biking friends you see god desires for that to be a temporary process why because even though they were lost even though the sheep was lost the shepherd went and did something about it didn't he he went and sought out his sheep in verse 4 it says that, it says here, won't, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? You see, God loves the lost so much that he seeks them out. He seeks them out. And he seeks them out even to the risk of personal cost. If you don't think that leaving 99 to pursue one is the risk of personal loss, then I don't know what is. Because it's not that he left 99 dead sheep to pursue a living one. 
He left 99 perfectly good ones. In fact, as we read later on, he talks about the 99 that are righteous to pursue the one. He pursues the one even at the chance of great loss to himself. What does it mean to seek? To seek means to hunt for, to be in pursuit of. The shepherd, like God, pursues the lost with no regard for personal cost. Jesus goes in pursuit of saving that which was lost. We see Jesus go into all sorts of environments and engage with all sorts of people and notorious sinners. Even to the point of ruining his own reputation. Religious leaders grumbled about that all the time. They, they'd always look at it and they say, how can he? How, how can he associate with these people? How, how can he eat with these people? How can he be with these people? I think one of the best examples of this is, is when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. Jesus doesn't just call him to follow him. It says later on in the day, Jesus went to Matthew's house. Remember who Matthew was? A tax collector. Hey? He went to the Farrier's house and had a meal with him. And what did the Pharisees do? They, they distanced themselves. They still followed Jesus because they were looking for a scoop, something, something that they could pin on Jesus. So they followed Jesus and they go and they stand outside of Matthew's house. And they ask these questions. How can he? How can he? And we see in Luke 5 verse 30 to 32, it says this, But the Pharisees and other teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus overhears this clearly because he answers them. And Jesus says this. Jesus answers Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Imagine you, Matthew. Like, what did he just say? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. See, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and in need to repent. Other translations say, but those who know they are lost and in need of a savior. I believe the book of Matthew records it that way. How can he? How, how can he go and associate with these people? It's simple. He can because he came to seek and save so that the lost can be found. And as we look at this word found, the, the fourth component that we see through these, through these stories, this, this, this moment of being found really speaks of, of, of a process of moving from death to life. We see the, the, the record of that in, of the, within the story of the lost sheep in verse 5. It speaks here about being restored into relationship with God. Moving from lost to found, moving from death to life. 
I still, folks, with all my heart, believe that the greatest miracle on earth is not a limb growing back, is not the dead being raised, is not blind eyes being opened. To this day, I still believe that the greatest miracle on earth is the human heart turning to God. The, The Bible tells us that the human heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. And yet that responds to the love of Jesus and turns to God. Greatest miracle on earth. And the thing of the lost being found, so often we believe that the lost should be found in the four walls of the church and at an altar, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm all for that. I believe in that. But when I look at the, at the life of Jesus, if I look at how he, he functioned, the lost were found in the marketplace. The lost were found um, in, in a fishing boat. The lost were found in a tax collecting booth. The lost were found at a well. The lost were found in a crowded street. If we had to translate that in today's modern terms, a fishing boat, the workplace, it was their place of, of work. A tax collecting booth, the gates of hell, I mean SARS offices. Sorry, got the slip of the tongue. A well. It's a modern day coffee shop, an olden day coffee shop. It was a social hub. A crowded street remains a crowded street. But folks, it's, it's these places where the lost were found. It's these places that the love of Jesus found feet and met them right there. You see, Jesus went to where they were. He loved them the way they were. But he loved them enough to not leave them that way. He loved them enough to to bring about change in their lives through his love. There's no such thing as being found and staying the same. It goes so much more, goes so much further than just praying a prayer. You see, it's walking a road that leads to change. It's journeying with Jesus. It's a life saved by Christ. And a life saved by Christ is a life changed by Christ daily. And I believe that as we've looked through this process, as, as, we, as we looked through, through the fact that there was something that was lost, there was something that was sought after, there was something that was found. The last thing that we see is that there was something that was celebrated over. If we look here in, in Luke 15, verses 6 to 7, it says, When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. I see two things here. I see that there's rejoicing on earth. He calls his friends together and says, hey, come and rejoice with me because what was lost is now found. 
Out of the three stories, I believe the most beautiful description of this, of this thing where we celebrate on earth is, is a story of the lost son where he comes home and the father says to the servants, he says, man, go and get a ring for his finger. Go get a robe for his back. Go get sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf. For my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. They celebrated at the return of the son. They, 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 they celebrated over what was found. I wonder when last did we celebrate over what's been found? There was also the celebration in heaven. It makes it clear that, that when one soul, when one, when one person who was lost, when that heart turns to God and is, is found in God, that heaven throws an outrageous party. It says it right there. There is more celebration over that than 99 that are righteous. And I believe with all my heart that God is super excited over the 99 righteous. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God gets so excited when we connect with Him and and love Him and and, and engage with Him as His sons and His daughters. So just imagine how outrageously excited He gets in that moment if it says that there's more rejoicing for that moment. I kind of see it as the difference between a golfing crowd and a rugby crowd. <laughs> if you've ever had the mispleasure of watching golf, um, you, you'll, you may have experienced the commentator and the crowd, they're like a breed on their own. The commentator will say something along the lines of, that was the most fantastic birdie by any else on the 15th hole. Really well done to him. And the crowd's doing something like. <laughs> then yesterday we behind against the Pumas. We score a try. And what happened? Yes! <laughs> People jumping off couches, throwing popcorn and chips at the TV. And it's going nuts. I think so often as believers, when we have these moments where people's hearts turn to God, we behave like flippin' golf enthusiasts. (laughs) But heaven makes rugby enthusiasts look like amateurs. The angels are going off the chain celebrating because what was lost is now found and that's something worth getting excited about why because yeah i agree there is no greater moment in life folks you see someone's eternal destiny has just changed someone's eternal destiny It's just been transformed. We're heading to destruction, but now there's life. Eternal life, a full life in Christ. 
As we look at the story, as we, as we look at all of this, I believe that the greatest lesson that we can learn from this is that Jesus didn't tell these stories and then move on. Jesus didn't just preach these things. He preached it and then he lived it. So often we want to tell the stories. So, so, you know, I've been guilty of this. We have, I've, I've had a moment. We have, we have led someone to the Lord and it was incredible. And then somewhere along the line, I'm, I'm still telling that same story three years later. I'm like, no. No, there's got to be constant engaging. There's got to be this, this thing of, of me sticking my neck out and, and going and loving the people that God has asked me to go and love. And who are they? Everybody, always. To not just tell these stories, to not just read these portions and kind of give them to other people, but we never actually go and love them. There's this moment in, in the life of Jesus, we've been reading out of Luke 15, in Luke 19, a couple of chapters later, we find these words of Jesus where he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now that, that statement is tied to a story, and we know the story well, the story of Zacchaeus, right? Little tax collector dude, okay? He was little because he climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus. That's how we know he was little. Said he was too short. He couldn't see Jesus. Though in the story of Zacchaeus, he like had his own bracket of sinner. Because it says he was a chief tax collector. <laughs> like he was not a pleb tax collector. He was one of the main manner when it came to tax collecting. Yeah. <laughs> he would shortchange the people. Well done. Well done. Man, I got so excited, I lost my notes completely. <laughs> the story of Zacchaeus, he climbs this tree, he hears Jesus is coming by, he climbs up there to see Jesus. Jesus comes walking past and Jesus stops. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. Because today I must go to your house. Today I must visit with you. When I read it, I see this excitement in Jesus. It's like, dude, it's Zacchaeus. Uh, like he's described as the worst of the worst. And Jesus gets excited. He's like, dude, I've got to go to your house, man. Come. And Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and, 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 and we, don't, we don't really get filled in on the conversations, and we don't get filled in on, on really what went down there. But having read the rest of this book, I've got a pretty good idea that there was this, this unconditional love that was just poured out onto this man. Just loved, just cared for. Yeah, people say you're unwanted, you're unloved, you, you, you all of these things. But, but I say to you, you're loved. I'm not just going to say, I'm going to show you. You're loved. I love you. I care for you. You're someone. You're someone to me. And through this engagement that Jesus has with Zacchaeus, we see that it impacts Zacchaeus' life so much that he gets up and he says, Half of everything that I have, I'm going to give to the poor. Remember where this man's heart was. 
it was in cheating people out of their money. And he says, half of everything that I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And I'll restore everything that I've stolen fourfold. That talks about a life change, doesn't it? Doesn't just sound like he prayed a prayer and then carried on with life. It sounds like there was a life change that took place there. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? We know that he was lost, clearly. He was the chief tax collector. But in this moment where Jesus recognizes this change that's come about in Zacchaeus' life, Jesus makes two statements that I think we, we brush over far too quickly. First statement that he makes is, as Zacchaeus is done speaking, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he looks at the people sitting around and standing outside who are too afraid to come in. And he says, today, salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. There's a rescue that's taken place here. The second statement that he makes, we brush right past. He says, I tell you, this man is a true son of Abraham. Why is that significant? Because Zacchaeus was a Jew. Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham. But he was also a tax collector, which means he was an outcast. He was no longer regarded as a Jew. He was regarded as a traitor. Jewish people wouldn't engage with him. He wasn't allowed to go to the synagogue because he was regarded as unclean. He wasn't allowed to take part in Jewish ritual. He was no longer a Jew. And here Jesus comes and brings about restoration where he looks at the people and he says, if you want to see a true son of Abraham, look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham. This man is no longer unclean. He's no longer unwanted. He's no longer lost. He's a son. He's restored back into the family. That's what Jesus was saying. And in Zacchaeus, there was this inward change that, that led to an outward action. Can we see the heart of Jesus for the lost? Can we see the heart of Jesus for those that are distanced in relationship with God? What about you and me? Where's that passion at? Where's that passion at? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands or an answer in this moment, but, but when last did you, did you sit and engage with someone or, around the truth of, of, of the love of God for their lives? Can you remember the last time you actually prayed with someone to, to give their lives to Christ and, and to follow that up with the actions to go, hey, let me walk this road with you. I'm not into making converts. We're into making disciples. Let me walk this road with you. When last did we do that, folks? You know, do we love the lost? Do we seek them out? Do we care whether they found or not? Do we celebrate a life transformed? Why not? 
Maybe we do. And I know that there are people sitting here who do. But for a lot of us, why not? I believe that the answer is found in the book of Revelation 2 verse 4. Jesus looks at the church and he says, This thing I hold against you, that you've lost your first love. You've lost that first love. Can you remember the first time you surrendered your life to Christ? And there was a legitimate change that came about inside of you. The passion that welled up inside of you to go home and to tell your friends, to tell your family, to everyone that you knew, you didn't want them to miss out on this. You didn't want them to to carry on living life the way that you had and that they are. And and people couldn't shut you up. You were actually seen as a bit of a problem. What happened? Somewhere along the line, we allowed hurt to creep in. We allowed a bit of apathy to creep in. We allowed a bit of politics to creep in. We allowed all sorts of little things to creep in and just slowly quench that passion. Just slowly quench that fire to the point where Jesus looks at us as the church and goes, it's this thing that I hold against you, that you've lost your first love. I believe, folks, as with Zacchaeus, that it's time for us to let Jesus visit this house again. I believe it's time for us to recalibrate with our true north again. I believe that it's time to really allow God to stir up that passion for a seeking and a saving and a restoring of the lost. Where our actions show the change that he has made. To the point where he can point to you and to me and say, look at that. Now there's a true son and daughter of the faith. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus has a passion for the lost. Jesus has a passion to seek and save that which was lost. What about you and me? What about you and me? I don't want to put a heavy on anyone today, but I think it's time that we start asking ourselves that question this morning. Whether you wear one of these or not, I believe the responsibility lies on all of us. But you possibly sitting here today and you've been wearing for colors so long that you've actually forgotten what they're all about. That somewhere along the line, we've lost this passion to see our friends and family. And biking brothers and sisters to come back to Jesus. Well, then maybe today's the day. Today's the day where we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me that I've allowed this fire to be quenched by whatever. And maybe we need to even repent for the whatever. Lord, I'm sorry for getting hung up in the hurt. I'm sorry for getting hung up in the politics. I'm sorry for getting hung up in my own desires that haven't been met. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, will you come and rise up this fire inside of me again, this passion for your people to come back to you, to see your kingdom 
populated at the plundering of hell. This morning, Lord, will you rebirth that passion in me? If that's you this morning, folks, will you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now. The worship team's welcome to come back. Awesome. Thank you. Father God, I thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin. Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us in our shame, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us in our state of lust. Lord, I thank you that this morning we can just stop and, and remember where you've brought us from, Lord, and just remember our own salvation, Lord. Just remember that moment that you came, and Lord, and that you just shattered our world with your love, Lord. Lord, I thank you that this morning you've come and challenged our hearts. Lord, that in those moments where, we, where we've maybe grown cold, Lord. Lord, and that fire's really just kind of fizzled out. Father God, I thank you that this morning, as men and women stand across this auditorium, Lord. Lord, that we don't stand because someone else is standing, Lord. But Lord, that this morning we are standing because we're tired of, of bickering. We're tired of moaning, Lord. We're tired of behaving like the Pharisees, standing on the outside with a lot to say about what's happening on the inside, but willing to do nothing about it. Lord, I thank you that this morning we can lay those some things aside and repent for it. Folks, where are you standing right now? If that's you, if you caught onto something, an offense or whatever, right there, just confess it to God. Right there in your seat. You can do it out loud. You can do it inside of yourself. Just give that thing to God. Lord, I'm done with this thing. It's robbed me of my joy and my passion for long enough. I give it to you, Lord. It's yours. Now, Lord, now that I've done that, Father, Lord, will you come and reignite your passion in my life, Lord? Lord, will you come and do business with me in my seat as you're busy doing business with folks right now, Lord? Father God, will you come and reignite your passion in my life, Lord. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, not my will, but yours be done moving forward, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for courage for your men and women standing in this building, Lord. Lord, in those moments, will you, will you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we can stand and repeat the words in Joshua where we can be strong.
strong and courageous for our King. Lord, that we can speak your truth to, to your lost children in love. Lord, that we can speak to the heart of life for them, Lord. That you come through your Holy Spirit and speak truth in those moments, Lord. Breaking down walls, breaking bondage, Father God. Breaking perceptions and mindsets, Lord. And turning hearts to you, Lord. That we can partner with you in the seeking, Lord. So that you can save in that moment, Lord. Lord, and then I pray that we will have the courage to not just leave them there but to walk the road with them that you have asked us to walk. Lord, reignite your passion in our lives. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.